I'm really excited about the text of Scripture that we're going to go through today. This is a common teaching in church groups like ours, or uh, Torah-believing groups, or people that keep the law, you know, things like that. The text we're going to cover today is James chapter 2 and verse 14 through 19. It's the famous faith without works text. Last time I taught, we left off in chapter 2 with verses 12 and 13, which told us to speak and act as those who, who are judged by the law, for mercy trumps over judgment, or triumphs over judgment. In other words, speak, act, walk in, in the law of Yahweh, because James's thought continues on, and he says, without walking in the law of Yahweh, without works of righteousness, our faith is dead and no good. And that's where we'll pick up today in verse 14. We'll continue on verse by verse through the book of James, because I think that's what you're supposed to do. We're supposed to study verse by verse. How many people in here know that, that we shouldn't jump around in the scriptures? We study verse by verse through a book so that we that we understand the context, what the what the writer's intentions are, and what he what he wants us to understand when we read his epistle. So with that being said, let's turn to the book of James in chapter two and we'll start in verse fourteen. I'm only going to cover 14 through 19 today, but in order for, for sake of context, I want to read verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, and in verse 14 it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can his faith save him? If a brother or sister without clothes is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, it's dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith from my works. You believe that the Almighty is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed the Almighty and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called Elohim's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. To kind of sign to kind of sum up what James is saying here is, is this. He's basically saying that faith plus nothing equals nothing. He, he not only says faith without works is dead in verse 17, but he also says it in verse 20, and then he says it again in verse 26. Three times he tells us our faith must be accompanied by works. This whole epistle of James thus far has been a series of tests to see if we have true a true claim to faith or a false claim to faith. If we have true saving faith, that was the, that's the whole intention of, of James' epistle. Now, true enough, people with dead faith, they don't want you to know that they have dead faith, and so they'll tell you that they have faith. We encounter people like this all the time. And they want you to believe it based on their confession. So even though the, the so-called convert makes a claim of to faith or confession of faith based on an altar call or some lofty prayer, James says that's not good enough. He says, show me. Don't tell me. Or confess something to me with your words, show me by your words, your deeds of righteousness. I guess you could say James is like, he's kind of like the people from Missouri. He's the show me type. 
He said, don't tell me what you believe, but rather show me. I need to see it. I want to see your word. We are what we do. We are exactly what we do. The scripture says that the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart, Luke chapter 6. That means what is in our hearts, what our hearts are full of, full of is what comes forth from our mouth. How we feel on the inside is portrayed on how we act on the outside. We are what we do. True faith from the heart will always be seen from the outside through what we do. Throughout our works, but dead faith won't be seen at all. Empty words of a confession of faith is, is not a heart change. If it's not in your heart, it won't overflow from your mouth or show in your works. There are many, many people who confess to know Yahweh, to believe in God or to know Jesus as their Savior, but not to the point of salvation. There is a faith that doesn't save. There's one that doesn't save at all. Someone may believe the facts about Yahweh or Yeshua, but the belief alone won't save them. Just knowing who they are, that doesn't save you. That's a faith that doesn't save. That kind of faith doesn't have any fruit hanging on its tree. In other words, that kind of faith manifests no changed life that comes from repentance and obedience. No heart change. And this is very common in today, and it was common in the day, that, in the day of our Messiah also. So common that he taught about it over and over and over again. We see it in the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13. He said, some seed fell by the wayside and were eaten by the birds. Some seed fell on stony places and immediately sprang up but withered in the sun. But some, feet, some seed fell on good ground and yielded a good crop. The seed that sprang up but withered in the sun is the false convert. That's faith without works. We see this teaching again in Matthew chapter 7 when Yeshua says, the one who hears the words and does them is like the man building his house on the rock. But the one who hears but doesn't do is a foolish man like the one that builds his house on the sand. This is also an example of faith without works. We see it again when Yeshua divides the sheep from the goats in Matthew chapter 25. He sets the sheep on his right hand here. He says these are the ones who fed the hungry and clothed the naked and the ones who, sh who showed their works. But he set the goats on his left hand. And he says, these are the ones that didn't do any of those things. And he'll tell them, depart from me. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 12 and verse 14 that nobody will see Yahweh without holiness. Nobody. Holiness is works, if you're wondering what holiness is. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that we're created in Yeshua for good works, which Yahweh prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them. Think about what that means ahead of time. Just think about it for a second. It means that before time began, Yahweh prepared the good works that we were supposed to, to do. Before we were created, Yahweh prepared the good works that we were supposed to, supposed to exhibit. Holiness was established before mankind was established. The scripture is full of teachings about faith with works. And again, empty, non-working faith. Again, and against empty, non-working faith. But it seems as if people today still think that all they have to do is confess faith. That's all it takes to be a Christian. That they need not make any effort. They need not change their life. They don't have to shun their sin or make any attempt to walk in the ways of Yahweh. The very ways he created us for us to walk in. That's, that's, what, that, that's what that meant in Ephesians 2, 8 and through 10. That he, that he created those those um those ways before ever created us so that we might walk in them. They think that mere faith is all it takes, that they not need to be like their master Yeshua who lived in the, 
and fulfilled the law of Yahweh perfectly as our example. These kinds of people are exactly who James is not letting go unchallenged here. And he confronts the problem by saying in verse 14, What good is it if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? Can his faith save him? So really, what good is it? What good does it do to say you're a Christian? I'm not sure of the exact percentage, but I believe that if you were to walk throughout the state of Georgia and knock on every house that you come to, I would say that approximately, I'm 75%, 7 out of 10 people that come to the door, if you were to ask them, do you believe in Christ, they would say yes. But I would be willing to bet that not maybe one and not nearly one out of the 10 would have any works to prove it, that they believe in Christ. They would just have the outward speech. Yeah, I believe in Christ. Yeah, I believe in God. They're not Satan worshippers or anything like that. They believe in Christ. They believe in God. But yet they don't exhibit anything that shows that they are. Well, that's what James is dealing with here. Remember, he's addressing his Israelite brothers in the faith. And we know this based on the first verse and the first chapter of chapter 1. He says that, uh, that he's talking to the, the dispersed tribes of Israel. And then he kind of reassures us of who he's talking to in verse 21 when he says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac? He's talking to Israel right here. He's talking to true Israelite brothers, and this is his point. He says, Wasn't Abraham justified? Now, these Israelite brothers undoubtedly have some sort of problem with their works according to their faith, and James is addressing it. Remember back in verse 8, he just told them about carrying out the law and loving your neighbor. And then in verse 12, he told them to speak and act and walk in the law. Maybe some of them believed they should keep the law and do what do good to their neighbor and do good by Yahweh, and they should. But they were just saying that they were doing these things. And James says, you, have to, you say that you should do good, and you know that you should act right, but you don't do it. And what good is it that you, that you believe you should do good, but you have nothing to, nothing to prove that you do it? It's just an empty confession. What good is such a claim when nothing comes from it? See, when true faith is placed in Yeshua, we receive a new nature. We're changed. We're made new. And we should begin to exhibit fruit, works of righteousness, just like Yeshua tells us that in the parable of the soil. Good soil produces what? Produces fruit. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of righteousness. You ask somebody today, do you keep the law or do you keep the commandments? And they'll say, well, the law's been abolished and we don't have to keep the law anymore. And he said, well, you have to show works. And they said, well, we have, we have the fruit of the Spirit. That's our fruit. You, have to, you know, the Messiah says we, we would know them by their fruit. If they don't have fruit, we'll know that they're not saved, right? And somebody said, well, I have the fruit of the Spirit. Well, you can say the same thing about the fruit of the Spirit that you can say about somebody's confession of faith. You tell somebody to show you joy or to show you gentleness or meekness. All those attributes, the fruit of the Spirit, have to be exhibited by some form of work. Amen. You can't see it without any form of work. Somebody has to do something in order that you see it. And let me point out, I am by no means saying that your righteousness or your works will save you. It won't happen. Okay? But I do want you to know, and hear me in this, is that without any works of righteousness, you definitely can know that you are not saved. If you don't have any works of righteousness, you are lost as last year's Easter egg. You need to fall on your face, repent to Yahweh, and beg him to save your soul. You need to do that. James makes the point very clear in verse 10 and 11 that no one is justified by the law, but that we are rather condemned by it. However, 
if we have been liberated from our sin or debt to the law that, that we owe to the law, then we should fit the man described in verse 12 and 13. We will act as one who is judged by it, and we will speak and walk in obedience to it. If this is the case, if one man has been changed and has a heart that is filled with faith in Yeshua, then obedience unto the law will follow. Let me repeat that. Let this sink in. If a man has a heart that has been changed, then obedience unto the law of Yahweh will follow that creature. Guaranteed, it will happen. We are what we do. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in your heart, it'll come out. Your actions will show it. Your works will show it. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify the Father in heaven. Who gets the glory? Yahweh gets the glory. Not that you get the glory, but that he gets the glory. Let, let them see your good works so that Yahweh gets the glory. Not that you're glorified. You don't want to puff yourself up, or we shouldn't want to. I think we like the glory. We want somebody to say, well, that's a righteous man right there. That's what we want them to say. But, but it's not for us. It's for Yahweh. I remember a long time ago, Danny and I used to play a little softball. And Danny, Danny bought me a glove one time. And on it, he put Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 on it. He says, uh, be a city set on a hill so that people may see your good works and, and uh, glorify your Father. I've never forgot that. And I remember thinking when he gave it to me, he put that verse right on the glove because people that play softball have a tendency, or any sport, have a tendency to showboat, and I was one of them. You know, I wanted people to look at me and say, hey, man, that, that guy right there, he can he can hit a long ways, or he can, you know, he's good at catching. He don't miss anything. But, but Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 kind of helps to keep you, keep you humble. It's not for our glory. It's for Yahweh's glory. So as he says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men so that he may be glorified. That's what we should do. The light that shines from a true believer is the light of the righteous works. James says, if you say you have faith, but you have not works, if your light doesn't shine forth with righteous works, what good is it? Where is its value? The word works right there, it says, if you say that you have works, the Greek word is argos, if I'm saying it right, and it means product. You say that you have faith, but you have not product. Okay? The Greek word right there means that you, you produce something. Your faith has produced something that's, that's evitable, that's worth something, that's valuable, product. That's what the word means. Empty faith without righteous, light shining, works is dead. Now someone might say, doesn't Paul say we're saved by faith alone? Sure he does. Sure he does. But James says, can this faith save him? Well, who's right? Who's right? Do we throw out Paul and keep James, or do we throw out James and keep Paul? Which one? Which one's it going to be? Well, I say let's not hasten to do either one, but let's try to reconcile the scriptures and make sure that what we understand, that we understand both of them and their context. Remember when you're reading the Bible that each writer has an intended audience and a specific issue at hand that they're dealing with, and without the proper context, we can't possibly understand the true meaning of what the writer's trying to get across to us. Just to try to clarify, let's turn to Romans chapter 3, and we'll read it and see if we can't harmonize these passages. I'm not going to read the, the whole of chapter 3, but I am going to read part of it, and we're going to see if we can make sense, heads and tails, out of, out of this. Turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 21. We're going to read through 31. Romans 3, verse 21, it says, But now apart from the law... 
Yahweh's righteousness has been revealed. It was attested by the law and the prophets. That is, Yahweh's righteousness through faith in Yeshua to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Almighty, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. Yahweh presented Him as a propitiation through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness because in His restraint Yahweh passed over the sins previously committed. He presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that He would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Christ. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No. On the contrary, by law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is the Almighty for the Judahites only? Is he not also for the nations? Yet the nations too. Since there is one Almighty, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. See, Paul is answering an objection here, and he tells the church that neither the Judite nor the one of the nations has any right to boast, not in his circumcision or any other work, that no one is righteous, not even one. They have all sinned. They've all turned away, and there's no fear of the Almighty before their eyes. That the whole world is guilty before Yahweh. That's what Paul's saying. Everybody's guilty. We're all doomed for destruction. But in verse 21, he says, apart from the law, the law is what condemned them. It's what shows them their sin. But apart from the law, Yahweh's righteousness has been revealed. The law wasn't the righteousness. But apart from that, it had been revealed. How was it revealed? In the person of Christ. Yeshua was how the righteousness was revealed. It was attested by the law and the prophets and has been given to, to all who what? Belief. That's the answer. Since there is no distinction between the Judite and the one of the nations, so then he says, since we are saved through Yahweh's righteousness, which is Yeshua, through his propitiation in his own blood, we're made new. So we can't boast. Why can't we boast? Because we're not justified by anything that we've done. Nothing. We're justified by Yahweh's righteousness, who is Yeshua. But let's not forget in verse 31, Paul asked this question. He says, by faith, do we cancel the law? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold it. See, Paul's promoting salvation through faith alone, but he's not canceling the works in the process. He's not doing away with the law. He's saying you're not saved by the law. You're saved by something that's perfect that's holy, that fulfilled the law. We're saved by Yahweh's gift in Yeshua. That's why that's we're saved. However, because we're saved, that doesn't mean that we can destroy what's perfect. The law the law's perfect too. And I believe that James is doing the same thing. If we read it in context, James is doing the exact same thing Paul is. Turn back to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, 
It's dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one, or the Almighty is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. James here is not trying to say anyone is justified by works. That's not his point at all. As a matter of fact, he makes it, he makes it clear in verse 10 and 11. What he's trying to say is if you make a claim to faith, but there's no way to prove it. You call yourself a Christian, but you have no religion. You say you abide in the branch, but you bear no fruit. Your so-called faith is dead. It's not real. True faith produces fruit. Just like Paul said, on the, contra- on the contrary, because of Yahweh's righteousness in Christ, we uphold the law. Because we have been forgiven of our past sins, we try our best not to commit anymore. That's the intention. Consider what Paul writes in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. I, I defend Paul a lot because I, I believe I understand Paul. I think Paul's dealing with people in a different time, in a different era, and with way different problems than we deal with today. And I think Paul's one of Yahweh's most righteous servants. I, I believe he was after he was converted. Until then, I believe he was a thorn in the flesh of Yeshua, you know. But I believe that Paul's, Paul's righteous. And a lot of people throw him, throw him to the curb. They kick him, kick him to the side because they don't understand him. But if you understand Paul, Paul teaches teaches really well. Just consider this. Paul writes in Titus 1.16. He says, speaking about, the, speaking about the same subject, he says this. He says, they profess to know the Almighty, but they deny him by their what? Works. Sounds like Paul's a law keeper, doesn't it? And in chapter 2, the same book, chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, set apart an example of good works yourself. Do this yourself. Set apart an example of good works. See, Paul's teaching the same thing. Paul and James serve the same master, therefore they teach the same doctrine. Paul and James are not standing face to face, battling each other. They're not not contradicting each other. Rather, Paul and James are staying back to back. They're fighting off two enemies. They're coming from different angles. That's what Paul and James are doing. They've got two different motives. Paul's defending himself against the salvation by works alone doctrine. And James is defending himself against the opposite approach that says you can't just believe and have no change in your life. No works. You can't believe like that and still be saved. Let me give you an example that's often overlooked by students of the Bible. Remember in the book of Acts, when Paul, he's just left um, Corinth, and he's going into uh, Ephesus. He's healed a lot of people. He's done a lot of miraculous works and things like this. And he's made such an impression that some of the Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of Yeshua over those who had evil spirits. And they said, I command you by Yeshua who Paul preaches. And remember the demon that jumped out on him? And the demon says, Yeshua I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Well, after all this happened, it says that the that fear fell on fell on all of them and Yeshua was magnified. It also says that many who practiced sorcery disclosed their practices and burned their books. Well, my point is this. They believed, and they acted upon it. Their faith was made manifest by the burning of the books and the disclosing of the practices. This is what true faith looks like. Faith with works. I could talk hours and hours and hours and give you example after example after example of people who have faith and, and had works behind them. But think about these people right here in Ephesus for a second. They see that Paul comes and he preaches, okay? 
And they said, man, that's some powerful stuff right there. He's, he's drawing demons out of people, things like that. And they said, man, let us practice some of that stuff. Well, they go and try to practice it, some of the, some of the exorcists. They get jumped on, get run, out of, get run off. And it put fear in the people so much that Yeshua was magnified. It made him look great because he could preach that. The demons knew who Yeshua was. However, they didn't know who these Judaic exorcists were. And so it, made, it, it magnified his name to a point that he was great. And they believed. They believed in how great Yeshua was. I, I would say that they converted right here. They converted over to, to be followers of Christ. And they converted so much that their, that their works that followed their faith caused them to shut down their practices. Probably practices that supplied their very needs. These were their jobs. You know, maybe they did this for money. Whatever. If, whether they did it for money or prestige or whatever they did it, they shut down practices, took all the books, throwed them in the middle of the city street. This is my picture of how this would have happened. They throwed them in the street and they burned them. Books that, that I taught them how to do exorcisms or, or maybe magic or whatever. Now, whether they did that, whether they burnt the books because they knew that we're not supposed to practice magic or divination, or whether they burnt the books because they believed that Yahweh would just work in their lives and they didn't need to practice things like that, or they were just scared that that demon was going to jump on them again, that doesn't matter. They believed. And the works of their belief followed. And that's the point. All right, let's read. Verses 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. All right, here James gives us an example of someone who is in need of food and clothing, but instead of helping him, his brother says to him, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, be fed. Go in peace is common Hebrew thought. We say that today. Even around here we say that. When somebody says shalom, that's what they're saying. They're saying go in peace or have peace. That's common Hebrew thought. That's not a bad thing to say. It's a good thing to say. But it's no good if the man's hungry. If you send the man out of your house, you say go in peace. But you send him out of your house and he's, it's 25 degrees outside. You didn't feed him. He, can't, he has no way to get food. He doesn't have any clothes on but maybe a t-shirt and some old raggedy jeans and he just he can't stay warm. What good is it that you say go in peace? It's a waste of time. First you must feed him, make sure he's clothed, then he can walk away in peace. James is saying faith without works is like telling someone to go in peace but not putting forth the effort to make sure it happens. I mentioned this earlier but let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 and I'm going to read it. Yeshua's talking here, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did also for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yeshua tells the righteous sheep, sit here on my right. And they ask, why? And he says, because I was hungry and you fed me. But he says to the goat, sit here on my left. And they ask, why? And he says, because you didn't do these things. You didn't do. You didn't do and you did do. Those are actions. Not you believed and you didn't believe. He said you didn't do and you did do. The ones on the right that did these things will inherit eternal life. But the ones on the left that did not do anything, they'll receive eternal punishment. See, if they had true faith, their righteous works would have followed their profession of faith. But instead, they only say or they speak with their mouth that they they know Yeshua as Lord, but they didn't possess salvation. This mimics exactly what James says in verse 15 through 17. Just because you tell somebody to go in peace and be well, be full, that doesn't mean anything. You have to put your words behind it. This is an example of a a faith that doesn't save, like I said earlier. This is a claim of faith with no evidence of work. Faith without works is dead. Dead faith or false faith is indicated by a lack of righteousness. These people right here won't inherit the kingdom, and they didn't even know it. They they professed that Yeshua was their Lord, but they didn't have any works. He says, you didn't, you didn't feed the hungry. You didn't clothe them. You didn't visit them while they were in prison. Therefore, depart from me. But the ones, they didn't even know they did it. Somebody would come into their house. They professed to be believers, and they were believers because their works followed what they said, somebody would come into their house or they might see somebody on the street and give them something to eat or clothe them, do whatever they could to help them. And when he talks about visiting them in prison, I don't think that he's talking about a prison ministry like we we call prison ministry today. This is just a little extra note. I don't think that he's talking about going and visiting wicked people that deserve to be in prison. It's not talking about that. It's talking about going and visit the righteous that have been falsely accused and thrown into prison. That's what it's talking about. He says, you didn't visit me in prison. These are righteous peoples. He said, the believers, the, the brothers of his, these are believers that you didn't visit in prison. But the sheep on the right hand, they did all these things. They did all these things. They didn't confess to do all these things. They did them. And the point is that they did something. Their works make it evident. All right, James verses 18 and 19, it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith 
from my works. You believe that Yahweh is one. You do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. Like I've been saying this whole sermon, many people profess to know Yahweh, but very few people have the works to prove it. Suppose I walk up to Danny. I'm picking on Danny tonight. Suppose I walk up to Danny and I said, Are you a Christian? And Danny says, Yeah. And I tell him, Well, prove it. Prove it. What could he do? What could he do to convince me that he was a believer in the Messiah? He might try to, try to tell me about some time that he was at some Christian conference and went down to some altar. He said some, you know, made some big confession of his sins and asked Jesus into his heart. Or he might say that he prayed some big lofty prayer. But the only proof that he can give me to convince me that he is saved is fruit, deeds, works of the law. That's all he can show me. That's the only way that he can prove to me that he's saved. Our Messiah says we will know them by their fruits, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16. James knows that, and that's why he says, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, you can't do it. You can't show me your faith unless you have product to back it up. Then he gives an example in verse 19 of how ludicrous their claim is. This is how, this is how dumb it is for somebody to say, I'm a believer, and they have no way to prove it. This is how ludicrous it is. He says, you believe that Yahweh is one, you do well. Keep in mind what he's saying right here. You believe that Yahweh is one. He's, he's telling them, you can quote the Shema. That's their greatest stronghold. That's what they held to. It, Judahites, Israelites, that's what we hold to. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our mighty one, or Yahweh our Elohim, he is one. Yahweh is one. Right. All the Judahites. Knew this. This was, a, this was a prestigious verse. This is the greatest commandment in all the scriptures. Mark chapter 12 and verse 27. The Messiah says this is the greatest commandment. They knew this. And James says, you say this. He tells the Israelite brothers right here. He says, you believe that Yahweh is, well, Yahweh is one. You do well. We call it the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. These Israelite brothers that James is writing to held very dear to the Shema. So James, and he's kind of arrogant right here, I guess is what he says. He says, you say that you, you know the Shema. You do well. But the demons also believe in the Shema. And they do one better than you. They don't only believe it, they shudder. They, they can quote the Shema too, and they shudder. You believe that Yahweh is one, so do the demons. You just say you believe that Yahweh is one. They not only believe that Yahweh is one, but they shake at the, at the very thought that Yahweh is one mighty one. Everyone knows that the demons can't have salvation. We know that. We have various writings that state from Peter, Jude, Matthew chapter 25, we just read it a minute ago, talked about the angels and the, and the demons to burn. But yet they still believe. They still believe. The demons still believe. Remember the two men that had demons that come out to run people out of the, I think they come out of the tombstones in Matthew chapter 8, and verse, I think it's 29. Yeshua's over there to straighten them out. And, and, and the demons come out, what do they say to the Yeshua? They say, Son of man, what do you have to do with us before our time? Now these demons know and believe exactly who Yeshua is. There's no doubt in their mind. They know who he is and they know who Yahweh is. Guaranteed they know exactly who he is. They call him Son of man. They even know the future, at least what, what's coming and what's going to happen to them because they said, why have you come to torture us before our time? They know that they're going to be destroyed. So even the demons believe. Even the demons believe in the Almighty, but it won't do them any good. It don't do them a bit of good that they believe. 
Because they have a faith that won't save. The same kind of faith that James is talking about everybody else have. He says you have a faith just like they do. The demons believe they got more works than you do. They shake at the very thought that Yahweh is eternal and he's one. They shake at that. Knowledge alone doesn't save anybody. I don't care how smart you are. Knowledge won't save you. I don't care what you know about Yahweh. I don't, I don't care if you can pronounce his name three different ways. If you can spell it right, Hebrew, you understand the Greek, Aramaic. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. None of it matters. The faith that doesn't save is a dead faith. It's a fruitless faith, a faith without works. It'll profit you nothing on the day of judgment. James says in verse 20 that if you believe faith without works is any good, you're a fool. He says, oh, foolish man. We'll get more into this next time I teach, but really, stop for a minute. Won't you examine your faith? Why don't you check yourself? Just do it. Just check yourself. See if you really have a faith that you just profess that Yahweh is one. And you just profess that Yeshua is his son. Or do you really, really, really believe it? Do you believe it to the point of death? Do you believe it to the point that Abraham believed it? Do you believe Yahweh that much? That you'd carry your son to the top of a mountain? Bind him up and lay him on an altar and attempt to take his life? Do you believe it that much? So in closing, guys, examine yourself. That's all I'm saying. Just examine yourself. See if your faith has works. See if you're part of the vine. You'll know you're connected to the true vine if you have fruit. You must have a faith with works. Now, I don't think for a second that a brand new creature, a babe in Christ, understands the full implications of turning from his sin. I don't think that for a second. I don't think I understood it when Yahweh gave me a new heart. I believe Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh gave me a new heart before I ever started producing works. However, I do believe there is an ever-increasing knowledge or awareness of sin in a born-again Christian's life. Because no one is saved by works, but only by the grace of Yahweh with a heart transplant, a transformation, if you will, a new birth, a total change. We should look like we've been hit by a Mack truck. Yahweh's much bigger than a Mack truck. We should look like it. We shouldn't look. If we're changed today, if Yahweh changes our heart today, whatever we look like yesterday, we shouldn't look like tomorrow. We should be different. We should be different creatures. It may just be a little bit, but we should start to change. 180 degrees, turn around and go the opposite way. If your heart's new, if you've been born again, you will look different. Guaranteed. You won't look like you did yesterday. And when the new creation born, it'll bear It'll bear forth the product of works and repentance, submission to Yahweh's will, obedience, love for your neighbor, and love for Yahweh, and any other work that comes from Yahweh's standard, His word, His law. If you're a new creature, there'll be an evidence consistent with a new nature. Our final judgment will be on our faith according to our deeds. Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 through 8. Listen as I read it to you. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth, but are obeying, obeying unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, true saving faith produces good works, and we will be judged by them. Eternal life to those who do good, not that our works earn our salvation. Make no mistake about it. But our works are a product of true saving faith. Remember the example of the sorcerers in Ephesus. 
how they burned their books and disclosed their practices because of their newfound faith. They put action with their faith. Let's show that kind of fruit in service to our Lord and Master. Remember, faith without works is dead. And an empty confession alone is nothing but dead faith. It's impossible to demonstrate your faith without showing your works. So let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and praise our Father in heaven. I hope that you pray and seek for true, saving, living, works-producing faith. Let's stand and close. Yahweh, Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your blessings. Father, we love you so much. Father, I'm thank you for your mer- thankful for your mercy and your grace upon my life. Father, and I understand that faith without works is dead. I understand that it's no good to make a confession of faith and not have anything to prove it. So Yahweh, help me to be fruitful. Father, bind it within me to produce works so that you may be glorified. Father, That we, if, we were, if the good works were created, and they were prepared beforehand, so that we may walk in them, Father, help me to walk in them, so that by my actions, you may be glorified on all the earth. Father, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for this message. I'm thankful for the understanding of the book of James. And Father, I just pray that we'll, we'll all be blessed by it, and, and uh, you'll be honored, you'll be glorified. Father, we ask all these things in your precious and holy sins name.